Hello, I'm Tom and um, I identify as an addict and I've always known um, that I was an addict. My, sorry, before, before I start, I'm really fucking nervous today. I haven't done a, a full share in a long time and uh, there's a lot going on at the moment and um, after the first few shares I did, which I all did from notes and it was very clunky, I thought I would not do that again. But my brain is so mangled at the moment that I did actually read through some stuff today and made some notes, but I'm going to avoid looking at them. Anyway, my journey into addiction started when I was 12 years old and I started smoking weed. Um, certainly I had started drinking before then i remember uh getting caught once sneaking uh, vodka into my primary school and i was about 10 years old in a bike bottle um my father was uh, an alcoholic is an alcoholic and my I've always looked up to my dad and um, he's taught me an awful lot, all my practical skills um, and I've emulated him. Unfortunately, that's followed both the good and the, and the bad. And from a young age, I learned that, you know, how you deal with your problems is, is to drink. So I, I did start drinking at a young age, and um, my first real life was was weed. Uh, well, actually, solid in those days. And very quickly, from the first sort of um, dabbling, it became my life. And throughout my teenage years, all the way up until uh, nineteen. You know, my was certainly my early teenagers, my life revolved around it. You know, all we did, you know, was go out, try and score, and then get stoned. That was it. That was my life. And any day where I wasn't allowed out, I was grounded for some reason, I would be climbing the walls. Even though we did the same thing every fucking day and night, um, I felt I was missing out on something. And I've never been comfortable in my own company and the way I've, I've dealt, with, dealt with that is to uh, take drugs and to drink, you know, even when I'm on my own. And I was always aware, you know, that I was an addict. And so smoking dope was a constant part of my life. When I was 14, 15, the drinking, um, certainly on weekends and whenever I could get hold of it during the week was a major part of my life. I, um, I stopped smoking dope every day when I was about 19 or 20 because of the impact it was having on my mental health, the um, anxiety was uh, too much. 
and it had been for a few years and yet i carried on smoking it that is the madness and then drinking really was my primary vice you know i would be a bottle a day vodka man even from that age and um and that continued on you know that was really the only way i could deal with life and i you know throughout my teenage years and, and my early 20s i was regularly having accidents uh, i ended up in a and e three times in the space of three weeks all drunken accidents i had many car accidents uh, all drink related um, three accidents at over 70 mile an hour i rolled over four cars and you know really i don't i don't i'm lucky to have survived all of that stuff you know, it's a miracle that i survived some of the accidents i did and an inch either way and and i wouldn't still be here the drinking really escalated uh, throughout my 20s and you know i was like a lot of alcoholics would get up in the morning and and start drinking straight away and when i was about 28 um some results of a blood test came back and, and my doctor said you know if you carry on the way you are um you know you're only going to survive another couple of years and i, I remember clearly thinking Fuck me another two years you know it's i have to wait that long you know that was my my mental state at that time i knew i was killing myself and i didn't care i i didn't care A few, I suppose about a year after that, I, I fell into a very deep depression and found solace in, in heroin. And fairly, within six months, I started uh, injecting and That whole period of my life, I, from 30 to 36, is all a bit of a blur to me, really. I can't even really talk about much of it because I don't remember a lot of it. Um, I've got scars of the immense damage I did. I remember the desperation, um, desperately searching for a vein for hours on end, poking holes in myself. I remember lying on my bed one day and, and my little dog was lying next to me. I thought, fuck me, this dog stinks. She absolutely stinks. And she kept, uh, she kept licking, licking my jeans. And you know, in the end, I kicked her out of the room. And it was only then I realized the stench was coming from me. And when I removed my trousers, I had a hole in my, in my shin and you, I could fit my thigh. And it was getting septic. And um, despite that, 
you know, I, I cared so little. I carried on, you know, and, and now my, my legs are covered in scars from, from Mrs. When I was about a year into my heroin use and I was trying to get help, a counsellor once said to me, you know, um, as fucked up as it is, heroin has saved your life. Because if you'd carried on drinking or you were, you would have died. And that's true. You know, it, it shocks a lot of people, but, you know, that that is a fact. I managed to, uh, I was on a, a lot of methadone. Um, my mental my depression sort of lifted and I actually managed off on my own um, to get off the methadone and get off the heroin when I was about 36. And I was very happy with myself. You know, I thought, you know, great, I've, I've achieved that. <laughs> uh, so much so I thought, you know, I deserved a holiday before I tackled any of the other things in my life. And the alcohol really kicked back in and then very heavy crack use. And that was true for the next few years of my life. I, despite all that stuff going on, I, I found a, a partner that I thought was the one I was deeply uh, in love with. And inevitably the alcohol, and it was mainly the alcohol, she was unaware of the crack use, uh, destroyed that relationship. And I was, I was miserable and you know, really in a bad place. And I made a decision and that decision just made me feel free and made me feel happy. And that decision was to end it all. And that was about two years ago. My family were very aware of you know, how bad things had got for me and basically stuck by my side, and I mean physically, and undoubtedly prevented that attempt. And that meant I held on in there long enough to realise, you know, that I didn't want to give up yet and wanted to get help. So that's where I've come from. You know, that's, I, I tend not to try and talk too much about what went before because the stories are often so similar. Um, obviously, without covering it, it's difficult to know someone's journey, but you know, there's no point going into the heavy detail. You know, it's, the story is often the same. So I, uh, I made the decision, you know, that I wanted to go to rehab. I had to go to family to um, ask for the financial support to do so. And you know, luckily they decided to support me in doing that. So off I went to South Africa um, and 
entered into a rehab there. As now so many, I'm very conscious of in a lot of the meetings that I do, a lot of my stories start with uh, when I was in rehab. And there's a very good reason for that. You know, that is because that is where my life started. That is, that is really the beginning of my life. And that, that was 21 months ago. My very last drink was in Johannesburg Airport on my transfer through. And it would have been in George, but unfortunately, the, uh, the guy was waiting there at the uh, exit gate. So I, I didn't have an opportunity for another drink. So I entered rehab thinking I had quite a serious uh, addiction problem. And, um, and I was happy. I remember a phone call quite distinctly with my mum three weeks in. And I was happy because I just thought I was in the right place. I had people around me. One thing I've never been able to cope with is being on my own. It was not long after that that I discovered what codependency is. And so many things fell into place for me. And dealing with my codependency has been oh, learning about codependency has been one of the hardest things. I've had to face so many aspects in my life, uh, the desperation, the rescuer role, the seeking attention. You know, so many really difficult things to look at. I remember when I, while I was in rehab, a memory came back to me of when I was eight years old and I was in a relationship with a 12-year-old girl that broke up. And at that age, I fucking lost it. You know, I, I lost, lost my shit, you know, at eight years old. She was the one and, and my life was over. And you know, that amount of attachment at that fucking age. And that was before um, anything really significant had happened in my life. And, you know, the, before my parents' divorce, before my father's sort of real alcoholism had kicked in. So there was no real trigger, no real thing I can put my finger on as being what made me who I am, other than it's just one of them fucking things. And I don't really see the point in looking too hard for that because the fact is it is what it is. But all of my, all of my life, I was looking for relationships with troubled people damaged people that I could try and fix and in relationships doomed to fail. And it was just such a uh, circle of um, being completely besotted, obsessed, and that ending in completely destructive relationships uh, or the end of a relationship that was completely destructive. That's, um, that has been 
by far the most difficult thing to understand and to learn about within my recovery because I consider myself lucky. I hear a lot of people say, you know, they just can't imagine life without having another drink or using again. You know, they can't imagine their life without it. I find it such a great relief that I know I cannot drink. You know, I cannot have one. I can never do that. That's a relief for me. But with the codependency, I have to learn how to have healthy relationships. I have to learn how to be able to be alone uh, in my own company without climbing the walls. And all of that stuff, there is no easy answer to. It's all fucking hard work. So most of my recovery has revolved around my codependency and understanding that. But on a lighter note, you know, I've, I consider myself so fucking lucky. I had a fantastic group of people I was in rehab with. We all really pushed each other. I still speak to a lot of them. I met, met Vincent and Sigrid both in South Africa and we're still obviously in, in touch all the time. Um, when I came uh, back from South Africa, uh, shortly after lockdown kicked in, which was fantastic for me, everywhere was quiet. I was out walking all the time to keep busy. Um, the pubs were all shut. And there was, there was some real fucking pink cloud shit going on for a really long time. Um, everything was, it's just fucking great. My family had an empty house that I was able to stay in. Um, all the meetings went online, which, you know, as everyone will know here, has been a fantastic thing for people who uh, struggle with traditional meetings. And I really did struggle with traditional meetings. I tried to get into um, NA when I was um, using heroin, and I went to about three or four meetings. Ah, fuck me, I remember. I would come out scarred from each one. You know, the, the stories I was hearing in there, uh, and I'll be completely honest, mostly revolving around severe child abuse, made me feel completely unworthy. Like, who the fuck am I to be here? You know, these, these people have... I've had a really tough time and I've had, you know, a, a, child, a childhood that, yeah, it's been difficult, but I've not had any problems like this. And I walked away and, and I stayed in active addiction, obviously. When I was um, in South Africa, attending meetings was part of the program and I distinctly remember attending my first AA meeting and I came out there so fucking angry, so angry and went went back and I begged my counselor the next day, do not make me go back, you know, don't, it's a cult, it's, you know, it's this, it's that, indoctrination and um, was told fairly straightforwardly that it was part of the fucking program and then get my head around it. And, and I did, um, and I can attend traditional meetings and do, but 
I still struggle with them. Every time I go to one now, which isn't very often, it reminds me how much, how many issues I have with um and it was shortly after I came out i found secular and, and atheist meetings which sort of um made things a bit easier for me but they were like the opposite of of the traditional meetings whereby people were and i and i was part of it to, at that point in my recovery were basically bashing the traditional meetings and that approach. And that didn't fit so much for me either. You know, my view was that emotive language, the G word basically, should just be fucking left out of it. Recovery was about recovery and it was about support for each other through through fellowship. Um, spending 15 minutes at the beginning of every meeting doing the same readings just felt like a waste of time to me. And I really wanted to do something different. You know, I, these meetings are fantastic. Obviously, I'm here in a official AA meeting speaking openly about all forms of my addiction. That was not my experience in AA or even NA meetings i was attending you know speaking about um not just you know you know alcoholic or an addict it's been about codependency some people say well, you shouldn't really be discussing that stuff here. so i'd wanted for a long time to create a different sort of meeting but never had the courage to do so i'd been attending pan meetings with uh, vincent which are open to all fellowships but we're still a 12-step format meeting and they were still followed the traditional sense basically the it was basically AA but open to all and I felt that didn't really go far enough and I I wanted to create an environment more like the group sessions we'd had in in rehab I suppose where you could actually talk about anything openly and honestly where any particular path of recovery, which there is many, was accepted. You know, it wasn't 12 steps or nothing. Because people do find recovery. Yes, yeah, 12 steps is one way and it works for a lot of people. I don't deny that. But it's not the only way. And just hearing how many ways other people have done it was um, very interesting to me. And I didn't feel promoting any one way was, it, it didn't make me feel comfortable. So finally I worked up the courage and I asked Vincent and Sigrid and that's when we started the IPAN meetings and, and they've been great, you know, being with people from all around the world, being have you know the same issues well being able to speak about anything with complete freedom has really helped me in my recovery it's helped me a great deal now when i was before i was doing this share today i was reading through all my old stuff all my old 
work from rehab and some of the previous notes from from shares and stuff and there was it was so clear the journey that i've taken although i couldn't feel it happening then the the early stuff was fucking morbid and uh, negative and little by little that changed yeah. and it was so subtle but i could see it in the writing how my thought processes had changed and you know now i do have an overall positive outlook on life that doesn't mean life's always fucking easy of course it's and now it's harder than ever actually but The thinking changed, and it reminded me of um, when I was seeing a counsellor a few years before I actually entered recovery properly, and we were talking about self-worth. And she said, "You know, you need to have some self-respect, find some worthies." I said, "Exactly." Now, fucking tell me how to do that. Tell me how to do that bit. And she said, "Well." If I could tell you that, then you wouldn't need to be sitting here. Well, when I was in South Africa, one of the exercises I had to do, and many others I had to do, was looking in the mirror every morning and saying something positive. And it felt hopeless. It felt completely hopeless. And even while I was out there, I, it never came to me. You know, Gradually, I could actually look at myself in the mirror but i didn't like myself and then somehow around april may last year i just realized that it changed i could actually look at myself in the mirror without fucking hating myself and that finding that self-worth is is really being the key to my recovery i find recovery baffling, confusing, contradictory, especially reading the text, you know, it says in one hand you must do this and then in another hand you must not do that and the two are opposite ends of the fucking spectrum and none of it makes sense. I spent a long time battling all this stuff, trying to make it fit for me. Then I realised they didn't have to do that, just work it yourself you know if something doesn't fucking make sense you doesn't work for you don't battle with it in your head for ages just put it to the side there's plenty of shit out there that will help you will make sense to you and that speeded up my recovery a great deal because i wasn't waging a war in my head all the time about how this stuff didn't make sense it was just well that doesn't fucking make sense okay let's read something else and I, I just, it's, I've been sober 21 months. And in that time, my life has changed beyond all recognition. If someone had told me this would be possible, I would have said, no fucking way. You know, no way. There's, there's, you know, life cannot change that quickly. And, and it has. Um, Yes, I, I only really realised the other day that um, I was going through a pink cloud period. A lot of things have changed for me in the last few weeks and I'm under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and, and I feel I'm losing control. 
and I'm I'm frightened and I'm scared. And I talk about it in the meetings and it helps. Um, I don't want to pick up a drink to escape those feelings. I don't want to use to escape those feelings. They are frightening and I don't have a way of actually regaining control. You know, a lot of things within my life are going beyond my control. And I will finish up there. I've been a bit all over the place, but I, I don't choose to say the serenity prayer. I really, I don't, I think if it wasn't called a prayer, I probably would have got on board with it. I think if the word God wasn't there, I probably wouldn't have got on board with it, would have got on board with it. But I do live my life by it. You know, I do spend every day when some shit is happening, I ask the question, you know, can I get control of that? And if I can't, then I try to accept it and focus on the things that I can change. Focus less on other people. Um, recovery is a bastard because you learn to understand so much about human nature. And you see so many um, unhealthy uh, characteristics in other people that you, I, instinctively want to pick them up on. But um, I have to re regain focus on, on what it is I'm doing and that I'm lucky to understand this stuff, but that I cannot change other people and I cannot, you know, I can't try to influence their journey i just need to focus on me and at times that feels incredibly selfish and it looks incredibly selfish to some people around me my family especially when i say i cannot do that i put boundaries in place and people find that very difficult i find it difficult to put these boundaries in place my codependent nature doesn't want me to do that but it is absolutely critical to me my recovery do i always get it right no i don't i don't always get it right but um the only real question for me is you know how am i doing today and if it's better than yesterday then i'm fucking winning is it perfect no it will never be perfect that's not the way fucking life works anyway i will leave it there thank you very much for inviting me on to do this uh, it's great to see you all. Cheers.